Lawrence. We are in Joshua chapter 10, and I just want to say this about some of the next chapters coming up. If you, uh, hope, you know, if you are the type to read ahead before you come to church, just to kind of get an idea of what I'm going to be preaching about, when you look at the next chapters, you're all going to be wondering, what is Pastor Tommy going to preach about? Because let's just say they're going to be tough chapters to preach out of. And when I, st- when I decided I was going to go through Joshua, I was a little nervous about it because I was like, man, what am I going to do when I get to those chapters? It's pretty much just names and stuff. But uh, I've got plans for some of them, not all of them yet. But I will tell you this. I don't take it lightly that people show up for church. And I am going, I do everything I can when I'm in chapters like that to make sure I bring something. That I, you know, that I give you something to eat. That I have something that's got some oil on it from another world. You know, I, I mean, and... And I promise you, um, those kind of chapters challenge me even more to make the preaching good. And so, I hope, you know, I, I'm going to, so, you know, don't just go read chapter 11 next week. Man, this is going to be a boring message. I'm staying home tonight. I, I, we're we're, we're going to dig down deep. We're going to find something and uh, bring it. So, um, I, I know where I'm going next week. And I, a lot of times I think my message is going to be interesting and then I just fail in delivering it. I've got an interesting message for next week. doesn't mean it's going to be interesting, but uh, it has the potential to be, assuming I do a good job preaching it. So anyway, just but hold on to your hat. If you're reading ahead, you'll see why. But there, there's some things, too, that I think are important in helping us understand the Bible that I'm kind of hoping to cover in those next week as we go through these chapters. And, I, I'm, and at the same time, I'm not going to try to make these chapters fit just whatever I want to talk about that week and you know whatever the current events are in the world, uh, you know, tied into whoever the latest reprobate is and stuff like that, you know, we'll try to make it about that chapter too. So anyway, let's go to this chapter though. We don't have that problem. There's a lot of great stuff in this chapter, but before we get into it, just remember last week, uh, in chapter nine, we saw the story, how the Gibeonites, how they deceived them into making a league with them. But, uh, even though they were deceived into doing it, God expected them to stand by it. And the Gibeonites, we're going to see, they were a great people. There were a lot of them. They were a mighty people. And so, uh, you know, Israel is also a very mighty people. So the whole land, they already knew how God was with Israel and was they were already scared of them. But then now, they're, we're going to see in this chapter, they hear about this league that they made with the Gibeonites. They're like, we were already scared of Israel. If they're joined up with the Gibeonites, we're really in trouble. So this league that had formed word had gotten out about it and this was a really big deal i mean they were they, things were really getting shook up uh in canaan land during this time because they knew their days were numbered and it was becoming more and more obvious every every city that israel would defeat it just told them we're next and then this league with the gibeonites this you know in many ways was a great victory for israel because these were a very strong people there were many people so in verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, Now it came to pass, when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so had he done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. So keep this in mind. So far, you know, in Joshua's day, they had some victories during Moses' time on the other side of Jordan that we'll talk about later in the book. But so far, we've seen a great battle against Jericho that they won, utterly destroyed. AI, utterly, you know, they had the small defeat, but then they came back utterly destroyed. 
Gibeonites, a great people. They made a league with them. You know, and so um, Adonizedek is scared, and rightfully so. And so, uh, just kind of an interesting fact, though, about the Gibeonites, and why I do believe God was merciful to them, is that while we know they probably had many issues, they obviously had a little bit of fear of God. Because this king, he should have been like, you know what? If they made a league with the Gibeonites, you know, be their slaves, why don't we do the same thing? You know, why don't we make some kind of deal with them? Because otherwise, we're just all going to be dead. But we're going to see it was because God was hardening their heart, which is something that God does when people are reprobate, is he hardens their heart. And uh, we'll see uh, more of that a little bit later. But I believe these people in Gibeon, they obviously had a little bit of humility. As messed up as they were, you, a little humility goes a long way. Even King Ahab, towards the end of his reign, after he did many horrible things, he humbled himself to God. And so God didn't take the kingdom from him during his lifetime. So um, even Ahab got some mercy when he showed some humility. So verse 3 says, Wherefore, Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmoth, and unto Japhia, king of Lachish, and unto Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me, and help me, that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and the children of Israel. So, Adonizedek's thinking, all right, we can't let Israel join up with the Gibeonites, otherwise they're going to be even stronger, so let's go attack the Gibeonites. And they probably went after the Gibeonites too, just because they were scared of Israel, but they thought we could at least take on the Gibeonites, God's not going to be with them, we'll destroy them, and then Israel will be weaker, and maybe Israel will be scared of us after we defeat the Gibeonites. So, uh, ultimately, they were just trying to make sure Israel didn't get stronger before they came after them. So in verse 5, it says, Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their hosts, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thine hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. So uh, here we see uh, Gibeon. I mean, they knew, they knew God was with Israel, and rightfully so. You know, they didn't, they didn't know any better just call on God themselves. And God wasn't with the Gibeonites by themselves, but he was with Israel. And so they did a wise thing uh, by calling, on, calling Israel, asking for their help. And notice here in this verse, in verse 8. Now keep this in mind. The Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thy hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Now, after what we have seen so far in this book, Joshua should be pretty confident that they're going to win this, shouldn't he? And let me tell you, he was very confident. In fact, we see it. I, I, I think what we're about to see in this chapter is probably one of the greatest you know, acts of faith ever. I mean, when, when you stop and think about it. Or I guess we can put it this way, where the most incredible 
phenomenon that has ever taken place as a result of someone's faith probably happened in this story with the sun standing still. Okay, so keep keep that in mind. But you know, so far, every time Joshua has been going into battle and God has said, it's yours, that is exactly what it was. The only kind of defeat they've even had so far, it was when Joshua didn't talk to God first. So, I mean, Joshua should be going into this thing with a great deal of confidence, fully persuaded they're going to win, and that's exactly what he did. And let me tell you, you know, we have all these things for, as an example for us. When we have a command from God to do something and a promise that he is going to be with us, you know who we should be like? We should be like Joshua. Now think about this. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So you know what that tells me? You know, God has commissioned us to go and preach the gospel to every creature. So you know what? We should be like Joshua and we shouldn't be scared. Now, let me tell you this though. We have not been promised that nothing will happen to us physically, have we? In fact, We've been told we'll probably suffer persecution. Well, we've been told we'll probably, you know, be killed and, and go to jail and things like that. But, you know, what we've also been told is that God's with us through every bit of it. And so, you know what? Even though it could have a bad physical outcome for us, we should be okay with that. We should be okay with that. I mean, we should be like David. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That should be our attitude. And so, we, you know, just remember, we have not been promised like Joshua in this story that, you know, they're all dead, you're going to be fine. But we have been promised that God will be with us through it all. And we know for a fact it is God's will for us to go out and preach the gospel. So when we go, whenever you are out there preaching the gospel, you should have just ultimate boldness. The ultimate boldness should be in your heart because... We've been commissioned by God to do it. And you say, well, what if something happens to me? God's with you. It's God's will. If you're, because preaching the gospel is his will. And so we ought to have a Joshua type attitude and we ought to expect God to do great things. And I think if we were like Joshua, if we actually had the Joshua attitude and not just the attitude where fine, I'll go and do it. But no, an attitude like Joshua where we just have unbelievable confidence in God, I think we'd see amazing things. You want to know why most people today aren't seeing people saved when they go out soul winning? Because they don't believe God's going to do anything. That's why a lot of churches today are backing off on soul winning. They've got a little bit of faith that if they put a door hanger on somebody's door, they might get a visitor. But you know what? They don't have enough faith to believe that if they give somebody the gospel and if they believe it, that they'll just get saved. And that's why they don't try very hard. That's why they get all bent out of shape when they hear people like us talk about our numbers and things and how many people we get saved. They don't want to hear us talk about that because of the fact that if we're getting it done, if we're seeing that happen, they should be able to see that happen too. But you know what? They're just lazy and they don't, they either, they're either lazy and they don't want to do the work or they just don't believe God's going to save these people. Now, I hope it's that they're lazy. Okay. That's the better, you know, option there that they're just lazy but if they just don't believe God's going to save people just for believing them without, you know, them having all these works and without these churches, you know, their churches exploding, uh, that's not good. That's, that's a really bad sign. 
that they might be off on the gospel. But we should expect great things to happen. And I believe we, we've seen great things happen. You know, most churches today, you know, if they had as many people going out souling on a Sunday as we do, they, they think revival came. You know, what they think is revival, we call Sunday. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. And it's because we, we, we just expect God to do things. We think God can do things. Why? Because God told us that he would do them if we would do our part. If we just be obedient. So let's keep reading verse 9. It says, Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them to Ezekah unto Makeda. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Ezekah and they died and there were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Now folks, this is an amazing miracle that happened right here. And this is one we don't hear talked about that much, but that's pretty impressive. That's pretty cool. I mean, what were these great stones from heaven? Was this, you know, what would the scientists say? You know, was it a meteor shower or something like that? You know, was it some uh, volcano exploded somewhere and threw rock? You know, it, it wasn't anything like that. No, I literally think, you know, God threw stones down from heaven and killed them. I think the angels got involved and they just started chucking rocks from heaven. I mean, I don't know. I mean, God could have used meteors or something like that. But, but either way, how come no, but in Israel got hit? You know, it's literally just their army and God killed more of them than Israel did. And you know why? Because there's five kingdoms going on right here. Okay. They already had, you know, Jericho was a big kingdom. Ai was a big kingdom. And now we've got five all at once. So this is a big deal. All five of these kingdoms have joined up so they can defeat the Gibeonites and they've got to take them all on. This is not going to be a quick and easy process. This isn't, this isn't something that's going to go fast. And, but yet they need it, it needed to get done. And so God got involved and just starts raining stones from heaven and killing them. Folks, that's awesome. That is an amazing thing. God killed more than the children of Israel did. And again, this is God's going to, you know, God's going to get glory. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel. Okay. Now let's, I want to stop. I want you to think about this for a little bit. Notice this. Many times when we would see God do great miracles, God would tell his man, I'm going to do this. And then that man would maybe proclaim it to everyone else. That's not what happened here. God did not speak to Joshua here. Joshua spoke to God. And, and while Joshua is there talking to God in front of all of Israel, okay, he's got a potential to look bad right here. It'd be like me if I got up and I just said, you know what, folks, I'm going to pray that God is going to do some great, amazing thing. And then I do it in front of you and then God doesn't do it. You know, that kind of is going to make me look bad at that point. You know, if I make some kind of prediction, it doesn't come to pass. We're all going to make fun of Bill McGregor again if New, if New York doesn't get wiped out September 11th, like he said is going to happen. Okay, and, you know, he's going to look like a fraud again. I mean, <laughs> and, it, and it'll be funny. We'll get a good laugh. 
So, you know, Joshua, he's kind of putting himself out on a limb here. But, you know, what? I don't think Joshua did think he was putting himself out on a limb here. And here it says that Joshua, though, it says, then spake Joshua to the Lord. Normally it says, and the Lord spake unto Joshua. Here it says, Joshua spake unto the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it. Not that the sun stood still. Now look at this. That the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. I mean, God's fighting for Israel to the point that it's almost like Joshua was calling the shots. And God's just like, it's, it's like God is just right there in his army. He's like, you know what, Joshua, I'm going to let you be general for the day. And then Joshua's like, oh, all right, you know, let's rain some stones. You know what? Stop the sun. I mean, now who thinks to even ask God to do that? Who has that kind of faith to just say, to tell God, hey, stop the sun for us. I wouldn't even think to ask that. I would be like, hey, just rain some more stones down from heaven. That makes a little more sense. That seems a little more possible. You know, Lord, just wipe them out with the destroying angel like you did to the firstborn in Egypt. I would, I would have had a ton of other ideas. Open up the ground, swallow them, swallow them up. I mean, I would have come up with so many things. But Joshua, on his own, he spake to the Lord. And then in front of everybody, says, son, stand thou still. And you know, what must the people have thought when he said that? You know, I mean, because again, when the sun, when you're watching the sun, you know, it, you don't really notice it moving, you know, because it's, it's so slow in our perspective. But then, you know, so the, the people at first had to be thinking, ah, he, you know, he's kind of crazy here. But then they're fighting and they're fighting and they're fighting. And all of a sudden they're like, it's not getting later. You know, and pretty soon they figured out that sun isn't moving. Folks, that is incredible. That is incredible. And, you know, one of the things that we, we kind of take for granted when we're reading uh, the book of Joshua, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but um, I'll say a little bit because I want to I cover more of this later, but this generation was an incredible generation that did wonderful things for God and were very faithful and loyal and obedient. And you know what? I can see why, because I can't imagine doing anything else after some of the things that they saw. The same generation that saw the parting of the Jordan River, that saw the you know, walls of Jericho fall, saw the sun stand still at the request of Joshua. I mean, what an amazing thing that that must have been. And so this, this particular miracle, while it wouldn't be as visually appealing as like the parting of the Red Sea, okay, when, we, when you stop and think about it, this is actually more incredible. Because, I mean, folks, how does that work? Okay? I mean, folks, you know, how, how does that work where the sun stands still, you know, with what we know about astronomy and we don't want to go flying off the planet and stuff like that? You know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to try to figure that out for you. It's God that holds all these things together anyway. Oh, well, was it just an optical illusion that God gave all of them? That, no, I, I think he literally made the sun stand still. 
And I think that the day really lasted that long. And I think the rest of the planet was probably scratching their heads that day, wondering what is happening. And, you know, and, or people at you know uh, parts of the world where it was still dark were like, what is going on? This night isn't ending. You know, and they didn't have the clocks and things like we do today. But people had to be wondering what was going on. And, you know, I wish there was more recorded history from that time because the world had to really be scratching their head that day. But you know what? Israel knew what was going on that day. You know, God was fighting for Israel and God stopped the sun. So this is just incredible. And so it was the Lord that listened to Joshua. Now, here's the question. You know, why, why did God allow Joshua to kind of give the order? Right here, because it says God had never done that before. And up until the day that, uh, you know, the book of Joshua was given, God had never done anything like that since then, where he just listened to the, listened to the voice of a man like that. This was a very unique thing that took place. But you know what? Let me give you my opinion on why God listened to Joshua that day and just let him start calling the shots. I'm just, this is just my opinion based on what I know about God and what we read in the Bible. But Matthew 21, 21 says, Jesus answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now, folks, getting the sun to stand still, that's an even bigger deal than moving a mountain. I mean, that you said you, we can't even comprehend the miracle that that is. But right here, Jesus said, you know, what? if you'll have faith and believe and if, if you don't have any doubts, you can move a mountain. And so, you know what? Maybe we could stop the sun, too, if we had faith and we didn't doubt. And so it's my opinion that Joshua, in his mind, as they're fighting that battle, as they're slaying people in his mind with uh lay out of the land with what was going on with the situation that they were in. And, you know, in his opinion, he just thought the day needed to last longer. It's like, we just need more time. We can get this done. We just need more time. And he just knew that God could do it. He just, he knew God had that ability. And it was almost as if God, in, in my mind, it's like God just did the miracle because Joshua thought he could. It was like God's there in heaven and he just sees that faith that Joshua has in him. It's like, he thinks I can stop the sun for him. You know, most people don't even think I can save them. You know, most of the children of Israel didn't even think I could give them food and water. He thinks I can stop the sun. Well, it just so happens I can. I don't need to do it. I don't need it. It doesn't need to be that dramatic. It doesn't need to be that incredible. But you know what? He's convinced I can do it, and I can, so I might as well. I mean, when, when, when it comes to the, the power that it takes to do a miracle, I mean, that's overkill right there, folks. I mean, that is some big-time overkill stopping the sun. Again, he could have swallowed them up. He could have sent an angel. There were so many ways that God could have ended these armies. That, you know, st- I mean, literally stopping the sun that's overkill when it comes to power. But you know what? Joshua believed he can do it. And so God's like, okay, I'll do it. Uh, that's, that's my opinion. That's, that's what I think was going on. Because God could have given them victory without extending the day. 
But God listened to Joshua that day. So this, uh, that's an important thing to understand. Now, another thing about this passage we need to understand too is just, you know, keep this in mind. This is telling us what happened. It's not necessarily trying to give us an astronomy lesson. So let's not go crazy with that either. It's just telling, it's just telling us what happened. This passage also mentions Jasher, the book of Jasher. Okay. Now, just understand, okay, let's use a little bit of common sense and logic here. Just because it mentions that this was recorded in the book of Jasher, that does not all of a sudden automatically legitimize the book of Jasher that's out there today. Okay, and I said, well, why did it mention it? Well, it mentions it as another witness at, of an amazing event that took place, and it was probably one that they had that day. It would be like if, you know, I was writing a letter to you, and I said, hey, I saw this, you know, uh, I saw this event take place. You know, I saw, we were out soloing, we saw a drive-by shooting. And if you don't believe me that it happened, you know, it was recorded in the Chicago Tribune, too. You know, it's like, you know, here's another source that you all would be able to look at. So back in that day, they had a book of Jasher, but you know what the Bible never calls it? The Bible never refers to it as the word of God. Nobody's ever referred to it as the word of God. And so just because they had a book of Jasher back then that recorded that event does not mean that a book that we have today that someone has called the book of Jasher is in fact the same thing. So, you know, we, we've, got, we've got to remember that. Because if I was going to deceive people into thinking I had an extra book that had some more details in it, you know, I'd probably call it something like the book of Jasher since it's mentioned in the Bible and we don't know where it is. I might call it something like the, uh, uh, there's a few other ones that are mentioned in the Kings. I can't think of them. I think there's one that's recorded with the prophet Ido the seer, something like that. I haven't been able to find that one. Maybe I'll go write it. And then there'll be some idiots out there well, you know, the Bible does refer to that. Yeah, but how about we look at the, you know, where did that come from? You know, how was it preserved? You know, why did it just surface in 2021? Where has it been for the last 2,000 years? You know, so um, don't let people fool you with that. Uh, because I think what we have today is probably, it could be a total fabrication and a fraud. It could be, it could be a copy of, of the real thing, but maybe one that's been corrupted like many things are because it doesn't, if it's not God's word, it's not guaranteed preservation. It's not guaranteed accuracy, things like that. So people will read passages like this and then they'll just use that as an excuse to just go run into these other books and then they'll call them, you know, biblically endorsed extra biblical books. This is not an endorsement of the book of Jasher that we have today. Okay. It's telling us that Jasher recorded that same event. But um, again, you know, common sense needs to prevail in these things and we should not take uh, a verse like that and then use it to try to add another book to the Bible. That's a, a really bad idea. So verse 15 says, And Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. But these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings are found hid in the cave of Makeda. And Joshua said, Roll great stones upon the mouth of the cave, and set men by it for to keep them. And stay ye not, but pursue after your enemies, and smite the hindmost of them. Suffer them not to enter into their cities, for the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hand. 
And it came to pass when Joshua and the children of Israel had made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they were consumed, that the rest which remained of them entered into fenced cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. None moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then said Joshua, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. And they did so and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. And you say, well, what was the purpose of doing this? I think Joshua was wanting to just put an image in the head of these generals that, guys, we've already been celebrating the fact that we've had two major victories over two major cities and two major kings. Today, after some incredible miracles, God has given us five. And they're standing there, generals with their feet on the necks of five kings. And you know what Joshua did? Joshua tells them, folks, God's with us. This is what God is going to do to all of our enemies. And he told them this too, because in the next chapters, one of the things we're going to see, uh, especially in chapter 11, is pretty much all we're seeing in, those, in that chapter is they fought this guy and they beat him. They fought this king and then they beat him. Fought that king and they beat him. And the Bible doesn't go into any details just because nothing bad really happened. They were just, but folks, every one of those things were great victories. And so it's like on this big day when God has done his greatest miracles, when they've taken out five kings at one time, Joshua just used that as an opportunity to increase the faith of his men and his armies and his generals and say, this is what God is going to do to all of you. So you know what? Don't even think about after this, doing like our fathers did. And after God would give these great victories, they go and one little thing goes sideways and then they're doubting God and want to go back to Egypt. Don't you guys dare do that. You pay very close attention to what was done here this day. And you know what? We should take the time to recognize and to point out the things that God does for us. Whenever God does amazing things, you know what we ought to do? We ought to talk about it. We ought to bring it up. We ought to praise Him for it. We ought to recognize it when prayers are answered. We ought to talk about it. We need to make these things public. We need to let people know about it. You know why? Because we're trying to increase people's faith. That's why we're doing that. That's why, you know, when, when the Ganders were here, and we prayed, uh, we prayed over Amanda so they could, ha they could have that baby. I, we recorded that. We saved it. You know why? Because I believe that God was going to answer that. And you know what He did? You know what we did? We made a video about it. And now people thought we were trying to rub their noses in it because we're not supposed to be friends with them anymore. That had nothing to do with it. You know why we made that video? Because we want to show people God answers these kind of prayers. Because I believe that prayer works. That I've seen that many times where God opens the womb of people when you pray over them like that. And people aren't doing that these days. And I'm not against going to doctors. I mean, by all means, go to doctors if you, have, if you need help in those areas. By all means, do that. But you know what? You can go to God too. And, and pray and ask for these things. And if we'd actually believe it, we might see it. And so, you know what? There's nothing wrong with when God does something amazing and God answers a prayer to just brag on God a little bit. 
Hey, just brag on God a little bit. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You better believe we're going to continue doing that. And we make memorials. We do things that are memorable so we can refer people back to that and say, hey, remember when God did this? You know, we don't want to, we don't need to do these things in private. You know, we want everybody to know about it because we want all of you to remember it. So whenever Satan comes along and is trying to get you to doubt, you'll have these images in your head. You'll have these memories in your mind of what God has done before. And you'll be like, you have no idea what you're talking about, devil. And you know what you'll do? You'll call on God because God wants to keep doing things. And let me tell you, I mean, this was just the beginning of the battles that they were going to win. I mean, it just, it's like after a battle like this, it was just so fantastic. It was so amazing. It was like the writer of Joshua was like, well, we can't really top this story. Uh, so let's just, you know, let's just give a rundown of all the, all the kings they defeated. And just starts naming them all off uh, like it was nothing. Because, uh, it, you know, these things are easy for God. No, nothing's too hard for God. So what verse do we leave off on? Um, I lost my spot. 26. All right. So and afterward, Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. And it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded and they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave. They had been hid and laid great stones in the cave's mouth, which remain unto this very day. So when it got evening, all of a sudden the sun's moving again. All of a sudden... All right, things are back to normal. You know, but God, after, after God had given the victory, sun goes down, they kill these kings, throw them in the cave. So these were, they were very decisive. They were very public victories that God gave them that day. And God was sending a message to Israel and God was sending a message to all the land that he was with them. So verse 28, And that day Joshua took Makeda and smote it with the edge of the sword. And the king thereof, he utterly destroyed them and all the souls that were therein. He let none remain, and he did unto the king of Makeda as he did unto the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him unto Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord delivered it also, and the king thereof into the hand of Israel. And he smote it with the edge of the sword, and all the souls that were therein, he left, let none remain in it, but did unto the king thereof as he did unto the king of Jericho. Notice this total obedience, just like before. They're wiping them all out. That's how these things were supposed to be done. In Joshua's day, we see it being done right, wiping them all out. When we get to guys like King Saul later, what's he doing? He's leaving people. He's not utterly destroying them. He's not being obedient like Joshua was, and there were great consequences. And so it says, And Joshua passed from Libna, and all Israel with him unto Lachish, and camped against it, and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, which took it on the second day, and smote it with the edge of the sword, and all the souls were therein, according to all he had done to Libna. Then Horam, the king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua smote him and his people until he had left him none remaining. And from Lachish, Joshua passed unto Eglon and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. And they took it on that day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein. He utterly destroyed that day according to all that he had done to Lachish. And Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him unto Hebron, and they fought against it, and they took it and smote it with the edge of the sword. And the king thereof, and all the cities thereof, and all the souls that were therein, he left none remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but destroyed it utterly, all the souls that were therein. And Joshua returned all Israel with him to Deber, and fought against it. And he took it, and the kings thereof, and all the cities thereof, and they smote them 
with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the souls that were in. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron. So he did Deber according to the king thereof as he had done also to Libna and to her king. And Joshua smote all the country of the hills and of the south and of the vale and of the springs and all their kings. He left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea, even unto Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even unto Gibeon. So what we're seeing here, it's just one city after another where Israel just totally obeyed God. No events, no setbacks, no problems, just victory after victory after victory. And every one of these things, it was a big deal. Every, every one of these victories were big deals, but yet it's just being recorded like just another one, just another one, just another one. And that's the kind of, uh, you know, victory that they have. And so verse 42, and all these kings in their land did Joshua take at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel and Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. So when Israel obeyed, God fought for them. God always did exactly what he said he would do for Israel. And when we see all the stories of Israel with their successes, their failures, we see they were successful when they believed God. And they failed when they didn't believe him. That's pretty much what it comes down to every time. Enemies would rise up and they would, when they fear and despair, they'd get in all kinds of trouble. When they believe God, they would win. I mean, that's just, that's what we see throughout the entire Old Testament. Just one, one time after another. And you know, we often forget about these times where things were good because so little Bible is dedicated to them. You know, most of the Bible that we read is kind of focused on uh, the disobedience and the consequences of that disobedience. That's why I say kings like Jotham is one of my favorite kings. Because of the fact that the Bible says very little about him. Just he did good in the sight of the Lord and pretty much nothing happened during his reign. You know why? Because he did good. They didn't have all these enemies and all, you know, many battles and things that they fought and any they did. It was no big deal. It, things were just good and peaceful. Those are the good leaders that we need for our country. We want leaders where there's no history. All the greats of the past are looked at as great historical figures. Why? Because they led us through great wars. Well, I don't want to go through a great war. I don't want another Abraham Lincoln where we have a civil war and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die in our country. I'd rather have, you know, I'd rather have uh, John Quincy Adams. You know, what happened during his reign? You know, James Garfield, I think he got shot, didn't he? I can't, I don't know my history real well. But you know what? You think, who are the best presidents? Probably the ones we don't know their names. They were probably the best ones. And you know what? I wish we had a president right now that history would forget. But I don't think history is going to forget this one because too many bad things are happening right now. But history books, they focus on the difficult times. There's going to be a lot of history about the last couple of years. There's no doubt about that. But it's when things are good when not much is said. And that's kind of how it was uh, you know, for Joshua. And when you, look, so when you look at all the kings, when you're reading through the kings and 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, most of the stories are dedicated to sins that they did and then the consequences of those sins. So, um, you know, there were good periods of time in Israel that I think that we forget about sometimes. And um, 
Uh, we'll turn over to uh, Malachi chapter 3. Turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Well, let me, let me read a few other verses. Uh, just keep your finger there in Malachi 3. We'll go there in a minute. But, um, yeah, let's go ahead and go to Malachi 3. So I think what we're seeing here in Joshua and what we're kind of going to see you know, really through the rest of the book of Joshua is these are what we could call the good old days. And uh, I don't know exactly off the top of my head the timeline, how long it lasted, but there it was years. I mean, all the days of Joshua, they were obedient, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, they were obedient. So, I mean, we're talking decades where, I mean, Israel is just pleasing God. And it's interesting, too, because in Malachi chapter 3, and I remember when we were going through Malachi, I was kind of scratching my head about this passage a little bit. But when I got to thinking about it, I, you know, I think I, I understand a little more about what this is talking about. But notice what this is the prophecy about John the Baptist who's going to prepare the way of the Messiah. And it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, we know when we talked about this when we were going through Malachi that this didn't happen because Israel killed John the Baptist. They killed the messenger. And then Jesus said they killed him and they're going to kill me too. And that's exactly what they did. Now, thankfully, Jesus got all this done by himself. He didn't purify the sons of Levi, but he kept himself pure. And he offered up himself as an acceptable sacrifice. And gave us the new and the better covenant. What Jesus accomplished was a fulfillment of this, but in a better way. Okay, But, at the same time, he... What was supposed to happen had Israel been obedient is he's going to purify the sons of Levi and they're going to offer sacrifice. It says in verse 4, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in the former years. And I remember when we were going through that passage, I thought, you know, when did Israel ever offer up acceptable sacrifices? You know, when were these good old days? Because all I seem to be reading is just bad stuff. But then I got to thinking about it as I've been going through Joshua. I think it was probably during Joshua's day. It was during this time when they were, they were being obedient. They were following the Lord. I mean, God said, I mean, they, he only followed the Lord. They were doing things right. They were doing the sacrifices. The people were keeping the Sabbath. They were keeping the feast. They had, I mean, I mean we see in these passages when they would get off just a little bit. That, I mean, Joshua and God brought the hammer down on them. We saw how harsh it was. I, you know, I believe during that time, so I don't see any part, places in the Bible where they were ever stoning adulterers and stoning homos and things like that. Well, here, here's the thing. I, I think they probably did during that day. The Bible just doesn't tell those stories. And if they didn't do it, I'll tell you why. It's because it just didn't happen. It, because the Bible tells us they were obeying the Lord. They were following the law. In Joshua's day, if they never stoned an adulterer, it's because nobody committed adultery. If they never stoned a homo, it's because there wasn't any homos. 
That's why. Because they were following the Lord during that time. And so, uh, I think we, you know, we forget about these times because most of the Bible is dedicated, you know, most of the history books of the Bible are dedicated to where things went bad. And the times when things were good, we just kind of read through those things pretty quick. But they happen. They're living life. You know, years are passing. Decades are passing. And the Bible just tells us they, were, they did good. They were doing right. And so, uh, in my opinion, you know, there was probably some other times too during some of the kings they did good where they had some periods of time where, where they accomplished some things. But uh, I think uh, in Malachi 3, it very well could be referring back to Joshua's day. I think during that day, God saw the things that they were doing in Israel and God was, God was pleased with that nation. Unfortunately, though, uh, it didn't last. And thank God for the new covenant where Jesus just took care of all of it and we don't have to maintain anything. You know, he, he does all of that on his own and that's why it's, it's a better covenant. But basically, you know, I think the biggest lesson that we can get from this chapter is that anything is possible when we believe. Even salvation. Even salvation. Mark 9.21 and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? Talking about the demon-possessed child. And he said of a child. And all times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And you all know the story. Jesus went and cast that devil out of that child and you know i we forget what an amazing miracle salvation is and it does and it you something that amazing taking a sin cursed individual and making him where he is able to go to heaven you know the fact that we're going to be resurrected with all, all that all, everything that goes with our salvation is a miracle you know, beyond miracles. And you know, the only thing that will get it done is just believing in God, which is just a reminder of how ridiculous it is for people to think you can work your way to heaven. You can do some kind of work that you, that it's something you do on your own. It's something you do by cleaning up your life or something like that. You know, that's absolutely ridiculous. And you know what? The reason most people are, are going to miss heaven is just because of the fact they don't believe that. The reason most people aren't getting people saved today is, you know what, the devil, even if they're saved, the devil has just deceived them and they don't believe God's going to get something done if they go out and do what he said to do and fulfilling that great commission. But folks, if we believe, if they believe, even sorry people that are out there who continue to live lives that just aren't that great, if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they will be saved right now and one of these days they will resurrect and have a new glorified body and they will live for all eternity with Christ. So uh, that's pushing it. Well, you know what? We're talking about a God that can stop the sun. And and you know and why? And that's nothing. He's spoken into existence in the first place. So um, you know what? I, I think it's time we start just living like Joshua. You know, I think it was it was a year ago. I think it was when we started uh, that series. You know. Uh, about the 
challenges in the promised land. And we kind of we talked about a lot of these things. And it is it's time we sh- we have no excuse to not be living like we're in the promised land. We should be having continuing to have victories. We should continue seeing great things happen. There's no reason for us to doubt God. We have no reason. Not just because of what we see in the Bible, what we've seen here in this church. We have no reason to doubt God for anything. If we're doubting God on anything, we're just disobedient. We're disobedient and we deserve bad things to happen. We should be expecting God to do great things and doing what he said to do. And so we are. We're going to keep on going soul winning. We're going to keep on proclaiming the gospel to as many people as we can. We're going to keep on doing the things that God has commanded us to do. And we're not going to worry about stuff. You know, we're, we're, not going to, we're not going to worry about these things because... It, it would be too great of a sin after all we've seen. And so I hope this was an encouragement and a blessing. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing story. And dear God, I pray we'll find inspiration from it. Lord, help us to be like Joshua, Lord, and just to have, have faith in you and just the boldness of knowing that you can do great things. I pray you'll just you'll put a desire in our hearts to see great things happen. And I pray we won't be afraid to ask you to do them. And Lord, I just... I thank you for what you've accomplished here in 10 years in this church. But, uh, Lord, when I read stories like this, I, I see you're capable of so much more. And, you know, may, Lord, maybe we're just not asking you for enough. And so, Lord, I pray that this will motivate all of us to ask you for more uh, so we can see you do great things and so we can see many more people saved. In your name we pray. Amen.